You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. What's up, Christ Walk? How's everybody doing today? Give it up for my lovely assistant, Kyler. Working hard, taking a bow. I like it. I like it. Man, so glad that you guys are here. Um, it's going to be a great day despite the weather, so thanks for braving that um, to come out. And uh, we've got a food truck coming up at the close of service that will be out front. Um, and so I'm pumped about that, and it's 100% free. And you guys know my philosophy. If it's free, it's for me. That's right. So uh, be sure to take advantage of, of that. We'll tell you more about that later. Hey, if you got your Bible, you got a smart device, Turn with me or swipe with me to the New Testament. Um, we're going to be in Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians, and we're going to land in chapter 6 here momentarily. But um, I recently read a story or heard a story about a man uh, from the northern United States that was visiting the southeast for the very first time. And uh, having traveled very late into the evening, he uh, he woke up um, in his motel room the next morning and he was very, very hungry. And so he decided that he was going to visit the diner across the street to grab some breakfast. And after placing his order, the waitress quickly brought his food to the table. And when she put it down in front of him, the man became a little bit perplexed because there alongside his eggs and bacon and pancakes was some lumpy white stuff that he had never seen before. And so he stopped the waitress and he said, excuse me, ma'am, but what is this? And she said, oh, those are grits. And he was a little bit embarrassed that he didn't know what this was and that it seemed kind of commonplace in this particular dining establishment. But then embarrassment was replaced by indignance when he said, well, all I know is, is I didn't order it, so I'm not going to pay for it. And the waitress, quickly realizing that the man must be an out-of-towner for his lack of a southern drawl, said, sir, you don't get it. This is the South. Around here, you don't order grits, you don't pay for grits, you just get grits whether you want grits or not. Take it or leave it. That's right. Somebody clap for grits. We're in the South. That's okay. We're continuing a series that we began last week on Easter called No Ordinary Love today and where we're talking about um, the love of the Father because the Father's love for us is far from ordinary. And we're taking a look at what that love looks like, what our response should be to that love, and what that means when for us when we do respond to it. And last week we learned that because of God's unlimited love, you and I can have, we can experience, we can live unlimited life. But that while God's love is limitless, if we choose not to receive it, we make it out to be worthless. And just like those grits, God loves us whether we like it or not. It's up to us whether we're going to take it or 
leave it. So for the remainder of our time today, let's say that we take it. Let's say that we do embrace, we do receive God's love. What happens then once we choose to receive it? What does that afford us? What position does that put us in? And I believe Paul gives us some insight into the position that places us in his letter to the Corinthians, his second letter to the uh, the church at Corinth, uh, beginning in chapter 6, starting with verse 16. Um, he says, for we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. Them being those that have placed their hope, their faith, their trust in the Lord Jesus. I will be their God and they will be my people. Verse 17. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. And I will be your father. Everybody say father. I will be your father and you will be my son's and daughters say sons and daughters. I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Now, before we get much further into this, let me lay a little bit of groundwork. Um, the Bible, God's word, it's divided up. It's, it's presented to us in two major sections. Many of you know this, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the bulk of the Old Testament, um, there are these things called dispensations where it's, it's what the Lord reveals or what the Lord gives out, what he dispenses to his people. And the bulk of the Old Testament is the dispensation of God's law to the people. We get the law in the form of the Ten Commandments, and then through Leviticus, that law is extrapolated further and further out where rules and regulations are given to the people of God for how they are supposed to live. And then that continues on throughout the course of the Old Testament. God's law is presented. The people try to live that way. They can't. They mess up. They drift away from God, and then they come crawling back and saying, Lord, please forgive us. Lord, bring us back into your good, uh, your, your good favor, and we're, we'll try to do better and everything. And it's just this vicious cycle in this dispensation of the law of God's people trying to live in accordance with the rules and regulations placed on them and constantly failing time after time after time. Then we get to the New Testament. And the, whereas the Old Testament was the dispensation of God's Law, the New Testament is now a dispensation. The, the time that we are living in now even is a dispensation of God's grace. And grace is getting something that you don't deserve even if you fall short of following the rules. It's, um, it, it's, it's, it's God's grace. And this is the time that we are living in. We are under the dispensation, under the covenant, the new covenant of God's grace for his people. And there's, there's a hinge point. There's a linchpin in between each of these two dispensations, the dispensation of God's law and the dispensation of God's grace. And the, the hinge point, the, the dividing line, if you will, is the cross. 
where God proved his unlimited love for us by sending his son Jesus to pay the penalty of our sin and die in our place. This is love on its most grandiose scale. And this is what transitioned the dispensation of God's law into now the dispensation of God's grace. It was the cross where the love of God in all of its fullness was put on display. And in the Old Testament, man's connection to God was based solely on their ability, on our ability to follow the rules. It was all about our behavior. And like I said before, we see this in the nation of Israel that that they constantly, they, they try to follow God's law, but they don't. They constantly miss the mark. They constantly fail and fall. And it's just this cycle because the rules that were put in place, the guidelines, the regulations of the law, it's impossible for us to live that way. And so many people would ask, well, if, if that's the case, then, then why were all of those laws, those rules and regulations put into place by God in the first place? If we were never going to be able to live up to that standard. And, and the truth is, is that God gave us the law to show us that we could never be good enough to work our own way into right standing with him. The law was not something to, uh, to, for, for us to aspire to. It was to show us that, that we, simply put, we're just not good enough to be in right standing with the Father. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, when he says, Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. And then listen to verse 20. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. That is the law's purpose, to show us how sinful we are and how we are in need of a Savior. We can easily see that our attempts to connect with God via the route of the rules and regulations of the law constantly results in a dead end. And our ability, or our our inability rather, to keep the law will never produce the righteousness or, or the right standing with God that we are looking for and that he demands. And this is an overarching theme of the Old Testament. And then between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there is a 400-year period, the intertestamental period. It's 400 years of complete and total silence where God doesn't speak to anyone for 40 decades. But just before he does go silent and just before the Old Testament comes to a close, check out one of the last things that God ever speaks to the prophet of Malachi. In chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, he says, Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. 
So God flips the script here right at the end of the Old Testament, and he's foreshadowing what is about to come in the New Testament. He flips the script and he changes the dynamic because up until this point, it's been all about the law, all about the rules and regulations for people to follow. But now, instead of it being about the law, it's going to be about family. God says, I'm I'm changing things for this new dispensation, this new covenant that I'm about to usher in. And, And instead of it being based on rules and regulations, instead of it being all about religion, instead now it's going to be based on relationship. And then Jesus comes on this scene in the New Testament and he echoes this sentiment from God the Father uh, throughout the Gospels where he refers to God as Father or as Heavenly Father more than 165 times. And then later on in the New Testament, Paul, who wrote approximately half of the New Testament that we have primarily in the form of epistles or letters that he wrote to different churches or people groups, Paul continues this trend in the New Testament by referring to God as Father over 40 times. Now, we compare that to the Old Testament where God is referred to as Father a mere 12 times. But in the New Testament, God is referred to as Father over 200 times. We see that a great shift has taken place between the dispensation of the law in the Old Testament and now the dispensation of grace in the New Testament. And the narrative changes through the work of Christ on the cross. That was the defining moment that changed everything. And so now the old way of viewing God as authority, judge, king, all of which continue to be true, but the old way of viewing him as just those things has now transformed. It's it's made way for us to begin to view God like those things, but also as the one who is loving, the one who's good, the one who is approachable, the one who is aware of our needs. In short, it's paved the way for you and I to now view God truly as Father. But despite this fact, despite the fact that that all of this has happened, that that Jesus died on the cross and that the dispensation of the law ceased to exist and that, that through Jesus the law was fulfilled and that now we are in the dispensation of grace, despite the fact that that's happened, you and I tend to struggle with the concept of viewing God as our heavenly Father. See, just like I mentioned last week, Our tendency is to view things through the lens of limitation. And we've accepted the rules, the conditions, the restrictions, and and we place them on most everything. Those limitations that we put on things. And and what's happened is, is that over time, we've begun to put those limitations, those conditions, we've put them on God himself. And, And this is known as religion. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this next week and what we get whenever we succumb to living a life that is full of religion. But what religion is or what religion says is just tell me what I can do and what I can't do 
and I'll do my best to live according to that standard. That's religion. They want to know the black and the white of it. To get out of this gray area, here's, here's what's right and here's what's wrong. And then I'm going to do my best to just follow those rules. Religion is, is simply put, it's checking off all of the boxes in order to, to, to qualify ourselves to be able to receive God's love. That I do this and this and this and I stay away from this and this and this. And then because of those things, then somehow through the work that I've done... I've positioned myself where I'm now qualified. I've now earned God's love because of the way that I've chosen to live. Many of us in the room are married, or perhaps those of, there, there are those of us that aspire to be married one day. Imagine if we engaged in our marriage this way. That, that we had a, a, a checklist of sorts that, that between me and my, my wife, Sarah, that, that we, we kiss every morning and every night. Check, check. And then I'm going to call her every day on my lunch break. Check, check. And then I'm going to mow the grass and she's going to do the dishes. Check, check. And we are in love and this is marriage, right? That's how it works, right? no. Somebody's like, this whole time I've been doing it wrong. It was worth the price of admission right there. That's not a marriage relationship at all. That's just a marriage contract. That's two robots existing together. That's not what it's about. But, But yet, as ridiculous as that sounds, whether you realize it or not, that's how a lot of us treat our relationship with God. I'm going to pray over my meals, check. I'm going to read my Bible, check. I'll show up at church on Easter and Christmas, check, check. Occasionally, I may put a dollar or two in the offering, maybe, check. If I check off all the boxes, then perhaps God will love me. See, God isn't concerned with us just following a bunch of rules and checking off a bunch of boxes. He wants a relationship with us. That's super hard for many people. And here's why. Here's why. Because number one, for a lot of us, our earthly father isn't a great example of that kind of relationship. Like the dad that we have, like it just, it, it wasn't what it was made out to be. And there's, there's a reason for that. But, but fatherlessness is one of the most significant generational plagues that our world has ever known. In fact, a lot of the issues that we have as a society and a culture today can be traced back and find their roots in fatherlessness. Because family was created as the building block of society. And what fatherlessness does is it thwarts a family's ability to be healthy at every turn. 
and, and our earthly father was, was created and designed to represent our heavenly father, that the relationship we have with our earthly father, it was supposed to represent the relationship we have with our heavenly father, but sin entered the picture and messed it all up. And maybe you're like me and you've got a great dad. My dad's watching online this morning. I love you, dad. You're awesome. Maybe you have an incredible dad like me, or maybe your dad is terrible. I don't know. The fact of the matter is, is that no matter how great your earthly father is, he's flawed because of sin. And so we have a messed up view of what that relationship with our heavenly father is supposed to be. And because of the experience that we've had here on earth, we just can't seem to get over it and get our minds outside of that experience. Because our earthly father wasn't a good example of that kind of relationship. And number two, the reason it's difficult for a lot of us is because relationships are a whole lot messier than rules. Relationships are a whole lot messier than rules. Rules are black and white. It's cut and dry. It's these neat little compartments and boxes where it's easy to see where things are and where they should go. But relationships have a lot of variables, a lot of gray area in them. Rules allow us to put God in a box and maintain the control ourselves. But relationship requires us to relinquish control and constantly work and communicate on, the on, on an ongoing basis for things to be able to develop and thrive and grow and, and to be how they're supposed to be. But this was God's plan according to the new covenant, according to this dispensation of grace that we are now under, that it's not going to be any more like the Old Testament. It's not going to be about a religion, about a bunch of rules and regulations, checking off all of the boxes. Instead, it's going to be about a relationship, that he is a father who wants to come and draw close to his children and engage with them on a personal level. And there's, there's two times, only two times in the Bible where God the Father allows us to listen in on what he's saying about and to his son, Jesus. And the first one of those is at Jesus' baptism where he's being prepared for ministry. And the second one of those is at the transfiguration where Jesus is being prepared for his death, for crucifixion. And what's interesting is uh, in both of these instances, one right at the beginning of his earthly ministry before it started, and one almost at the very end of his earthly ministry, both times the father says the exact same thing. That both times he allows us to listen in on what he's speaking to and over his son Jesus. He says the exact same thing in Matthew chapter 3 verse 17 at Jesus' baptism. We read, and a voice from heaven said, this is God the Father speaking. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. And then 14 chapters later in Matthew 17 verse 5. We read, but even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said at the transfiguration, a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great 
joy. Listen to him. See, two times we see this. Both times, God communicates the same thing about Jesus. So apparently, God wanted you and me to be very clear on how he views his son. And it's here in these passages that we discover three lenses through which God viewed Jesus through the words that he spoke over him. And and when you and I enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, because make no mistake about it, yes, God loves us all. And his love is available to us all. But it's something that we have to receive in order to gain the full benefit of. Okay? Okay? But when we do that and when we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, when when we receive his love, we come under the blood that was shed at the cross of Calvary. We experience God's unlimited love in that way. So now, once we've crossed that threshold, now when God looks at us, he does so through the lens of the blood of his son, Jesus, which allows him to see us differently as well. That now when we come under that cleansing stream of the blood of Jesus Christ, when God looks at us, he's saying, I'm looking at them. That is my beloved son who brings me great joy. He's seeing us through the lens of Jesus Christ. And because of that, there are three things that we can learn from these passages that are afforded to us. Because of God's unlimited love, because it brings the, the, the sonship that Jesus brings to us, that his work on the cross allowed us, like he said in, in 2 Corinthians, like he communicated in Malachi to be his sons, to be his daughters. There are three things that that sonship through God's unlimited love affords us. And the first one of those is identity. The first one of those is identity through God's Love, we are afforded identity. God said, this is my son. This is my son. Let me ask you a question. Who are you? Like right now, like just get a word in your head. Like what do you believe to be your identity? You got your word? Thinking of it? See, often... There are two sides to that coin. There's, there's, on the one hand, the people who identify with words like broken, forgotten, misunderstood, annoying, not enough, stupid, ugly, fat, dirty, unwanted, pathetic. And then on the other side of that coin, there are people that identify with words like successful, deserving, self-made, accomplished, independent, resolute, good-looking, smart. Do you know what word God wants you to hear louder than anything else? When we're talking about our identity, God, the loudest word that he wants us to hear is son. Or daughter, son or daughter. That is the only identity that will not fail us. 
Because what happens is, is if we see ourselves through the lens of, of that, that first side of the coin, then we're not looking at ourselves properly. 2 Corinthians 6.18, where we started out, God said, I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters. It overshadows all of that other stuff and it raises us above that thing because that doesn't, that's not how we are defined. We are defined as a son or a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So if we're looking at ourselves in, in something different than that, we, we've missed how we are supposed to view ourselves through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And the way that that opened up for us. But, but perhaps we, per, perhaps you're one of those people that, that viewed yourself, uh, as, as one of those words on, on the second side of the coin. And, and if we see ourselves through that second set of words, what happens is that, that we're, we're taking the credit for the good things in our life without first being a son or daughter. And, and when trouble comes or when, when that happens to let us down, when we happen to fail, then we'll have nobody to blame for ourselves because what we've done is we've based our identity on us and what we've accomplished instead of basing our identity on Jesus where it's supposed to be as a son or a daughter. And so when it comes to our identity, who we are, there's only one answer that matters, son or daughter. Whether we experience the highest of highs or the lowest of lows, that truth remains. Whether life is full of blessing or life is full of disappointment, that truth remains. Whether you and I engage in smooth sailing or rough water, that truth remains. Somebody needs to know this morning that your past does not define you. Your job does not define you. The number in your bank account does not define you. The people that are in your family and the things that they have said to you, good or bad, over the entire course of your life does not define you. All that defines you today, when you step into a relationship with Jesus and you receive his unlimited love for your life, the only thing that defines you is that you are a son or a daughter of the king. That's it. That's it. So number one, sonship through God's unlimited love affords us identity. Number two, it affords us acceptance. Acceptance. God said, this is my dearly loved son. And God first said this about Jesus, like I mentioned, at his baptism. This was before Jesus had begun his earthly ministry. He hadn't yet done one single thing to earn God's love. This was before he called the disciples. This was before he turned water into wine. It was before he fed the multitude with five loaves and two fish. It was before he healed any of the lepers or the lame or the blind or the deaf or the mute. It was before he raised Lazarus from the dead. He had done none of those things, yet God said, you are dearly loved. See, you and I, we've got a tendency to hitch together love and acceptance, to hitch that together with works. And this is the way the world thinks and behaves, that, that I'm only as good as the things that I've accomplished. 
In order for me to be loved, I've got to first earn it. The problem with that is we've allowed that to bleed over into our theology as well, the way that we view God, that, that we've taken on this mindset that as long as I do all the things, then God will love me. As long as I go to church, as long as I read my Bible, as long as I serve, as long as I give financially, as long as I do this and that, then God will love me. But guess what? We don't go to church or read our Bible or serve or give financially or do any of those things to get God to love us. We do those things because God loves us. It's our response to his love that that when we've experienced the fullness of his love, we just can't help but live that way because we know it's the best way, that it's, it's what God has in store and that it's the best way to live. We're not doing those things to, to gain his love. We're doing those things out of his love that we've already experienced. The narrative has been changed from law to grace and we don't have to do anything to earn his love we just are loved period that's it look at your neighbor right now and 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 say god just loves you now turn to your second choice and tell them even though you're my second choice God loves you just as much as my first choice. That's the truth. We've been accepted. God just loves us. And through his love, we're given identity. We're given acceptance. Number three, we're given approval. God said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We are in an incredible season right now here at Christ Walk Church where we seem to be like swimming in babies. So be careful, let me just say, because there's something in the water, apparently. As I take a drink, I realize the irony of that. Won't happen to us, though. Won't happen to us. Nope. The baby factory's been turned into an amusement park. We're all good. (laughs) That's Sarah's favorite joke. I'll pay for that one later. (laughs) Hashtag worth it. There's so many people that have either just had a baby or they're getting ready to have a baby here. And from a pastoral standpoint, man, that's church growth at its finest. Right there. I love it. Like what a tremendous blessing from the Lord. Many of these stories are just incredible testimonies of God's goodness and faithfulness. And I'm just, as, as a pastor, I love it because I love kids. And I love that when those kids start to scream or they poo-poo their diaper, I can just hand them right back. It's the greatest. It's like being a grandfather to like a whole bunch of grandkids. And by the way... Um, if you're looking for a place to serve, to volunteer, there is no better place. Like I, you guys know, many of you, I was a children's pastor for years before I became a lead pastor. 
And if I wasn't doing this, I would be back in children's ministry, hands down. It is an incredible place to volunteer. We have an awesome team of of adult and teenage leaders back there. And and around here, we like to say that servanthood is our posture. And, And simply put, if you're not helping, then you're not helping. And so if you're looking for a place to put your skills and your talents and your gifts to work, the best place to be involved at Christ Walk Church is in our children's ministry. So if that's something that right now you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart, or maybe you feel the pastor punching you in the gut a little bit, or whatever it is, um, go talk to one of our volunteer leaders out front um, at the close of service, or find me, and we can get you hooked up, because I would love for you to find your spot on that team. And the greatest thing about serving in children's ministry is um, from an early age, like uh, for, for many of those kids, uh, we are the, 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 the first hands and feet of Jesus that they ever experienced. So um, I, I would just encourage you that that's a great place to get involved. Um, so if the Lord's been working on you about that, maybe that's a spot for you to plug in. But I digress. We've got all these kids around here. We've got all these new parents. And, and there's something that every single one of them have in common. It's a look that you can see on their face, and it represents a mindset or an attitude. And I can remember when my kids, who are now 15 and 12, when they were born, and I felt the exact same way. Like, here's this little life. And, and even, though it's, even though it's yours, it, it belongs to you. you. You don't really even know it yet. It can't do anything for itself. It's completely, totally dependent on the outside world. And, and at that moment, like as an infant, as a newborn, it, that, that baby hasn't done one single thing to contribute to society. All it does is eat, sleep, cry, and poop in some order. But I can remember holding Luke and Avery in my arms. They were just minutes old. Despite the fact that they'd done absolutely nothing, they'd brought about no contribution or everything, I looked into those little baby eyes. They were experiencing the the world for the first time. And I just had this feeling, I would run through a brick wall for you. Like it's just, as a parent, like you just can't explain it. There, There is nothing that I would not do for them. Those parents have the same sentiment. There's nothing that they, that you would not do for that child for one reason and one reason only, because they were yours. I felt that way just because these are my kids. They belong to me. They've done nothing but cost me money. So much money. But there's nothing that I wouldn't give to them just because they are mine and they bring me great joy. Get around those new parents. Get some of that on you. Because what's going to happen is you get around their parents and, and, and they've got a thousand pictures of that baby on their phone that they'll swipe through and they'll show you. Like, look at their Instagram feed. It's, it's nothing but a bunch of pictures of that baby just laying there doing nothing. Just scroll 
scroll, scroll. That's all it is. It's because they're proud because that's their child. Somebody needs to know today that you're on God's Instagram feed. You're in his iPhone camera roll. Because God has an iPhone. He ain't messing around with no Android, Samsung, whatever. He's got an iPhone. And you're on his camera roll. If you were around God this morning and he pulled out that iPhone, this is what he would show. He would pull up the pictures and he would, he would show you a picture and he would say, Hey, this is Blake. He pastors Christ Walk Church. He's my favorite. And then he'd swipe to the next one and he'd say, this is his wife, Sarah. She's my favorite. And then he'd show a picture of Luke and Avery and say, these are their kids. This is my favorite. And he'd say, this is Daniel. He's my favorite. This is Cindy. She's my favorite. And he would just scroll and scroll and scroll. And every picture he would beam with pride say this is whoever and they are my favorite somebody just needs to know that God is smiling over you today you are his most prized possession your GPA doesn't matter your job title doesn't matter your 401k doesn't matter your address doesn't matter God just loves you Period. That's it. That's the message. God just loves you. You've been approved as worthy of receiving his love today. But here's something else you need to know. Our enemy, the devil, he's working overtime to make us believe otherwise. He's going out of his way to bring up every struggle, every shortcoming, every stronghold. He's going to point out every single sin that we've ever committed, even the one all the way back in third grade. Because he just wants to beat you over the head with it time and time and time again until you you are convinced that you are unlovable. But it's all a lie. It's a lie. Romans 8.1, Paul says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. came to tell somebody today that it's not about anything that we can do, but it's all about what Jesus has already done. Once we were under the law, now we are under grace. Once we were measured up against an impossible standard, now we are seen through the blood of Jesus Christ, where he stretched out his arms on the cross and became love in action, extending to us his matchless grace. Through that grace and in his love, we find identity. We find acceptance. We find approval. You need to receive the love of the Father today. You can do that by simply choosing to let go of your own desires and choosing to live God's way instead. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And it leads to everlasting 
life. This is what it means to live for something more. I'm around Christian people all the time. You know what I've discovered? There's a whole bunch of Christians that are still walking around trying to earn God's love. Some of you are in this room this morning. You need to know that we can't earn it. You need to know that we don't deserve it, and that's okay. But you need to know that all you can do is just receive it. And I hope that everyone here in this room today, everyone watching with us online, if you're within the sound of my voice, that as we close this message, you'll know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are loved by your heavenly father. And he longs for you to receive that love by choosing to live his way. Because it's the best way. It's the best way. If you're here today, you're watching with us online, and you'd like to do this, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. Today, I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.